Section twenty one of Lourdes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Lourdes by Emile Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. The Fifth Day. One. Egotism and Love. Again that night, Pierre, at the Hotel of the Apparitions, was unable to obtain a wink of sleep. After calling at the hospital to inquire after Marie, who, since her return from the procession, had been soundly enjoying the delicious, restoring sleep of a child, he had gone to bed himself feeling anxious at the prolonged absence of Monsieur de Garcin. He had expected him at latest at dinner-time, but probably some mischance had detained him at Gavarny, and he thought how disappointed Marie would be if her father were not there to embrace her the first thing in the morning. With a man like Monsieur de Garcin, so pleasantly heedless and so hare-brained, everything was possible, every fear might be realised. Perhaps this anxiety had at first sufficed to keep Pierre awake in spite of his great fatigue, but afterwards the nocturnal noises of the hotel had really assumed unbearable proportions. The morrow, Tuesday, was the day of departure, the last day which the national pilgrimage would spend at Lourdes, and the pilgrims no doubt were making the most of their time coming from the grotto and returning thither in the middle of the night endeavouring as it were to force the grace of heaven by their commotion and apparently never feeling the slightest need of repose the doors slammed the floors shook the entire building vibrated beneath the disorderly gallop of a crowd never before had the walls reverberated with such obstinate coughs such thick husky voices thus pierre a prey to insomnia tossed about on his bed and continually rose up beset with the idea that the noise he heard must have been made by Monsieur de Garcin, who had returned. For some minutes he would listen feverishly, but he could only hear the extraordinary sounds of the passage, amid which he could distinguish nothing precisely. Was it the priest, the mother and her three daughters, or the old married couple on his left, who were fighting with the furniture? Or was it rather the larger family, or the single gentleman, or the young single woman on his right, whom some incomprehensible occurrences were leading into adventures? At one moment he jumped from his bed, wishing to explore his absent friend's empty room, as he felt certain that some deeds of violence were taking place in it. But although he listened very attentively when he got there, the only sound he could distinguish was the tender caressing murmur of two voices. Then a sudden recollection of Madame Volmar came to him, and he returned shuddering to bed. At length, when it was broad daylight and Pierre had just fallen asleep, a loud knocking at his door awoke him with a start. This time there could be no mistake. A loud voice broken by sobs was calling, Monsieur l'abbé, Monsieur l'abbé, for heaven's sake, wake up. Surely it must be Monsieur de Garcin who had been brought back dead at least. Quite scared, Pierre ran and opened the door in his nightshirt and found himself in the presence of his neighbor, Monsieur Vigneron. Oh, for heaven's sake, Monsieur l'abbé, dress yourself at once, exclaimed the assistant head clerk. Your holy ministry is required. And he began to relate that he had just got up to see the time by his watch on the mantelpiece when he had heard the most frightful sighs issuing from the adjoining room where madame chaise slept she had left the communicating door open in order to be more with them as she pleasantly expressed it accordingly he had hastened in and flung the shutters open so as to admit both light and air and what a sight monsieur l'abbé he continued our poor aunt lying on her bed nearly purple in the face already her mouth wide open in a vain effort to breathe and her hands fumbling with the sheet it's her heart complaint you know come come at once monsieur l'abbé and help her i implore you pierre utterly bewildered could find neither his breeches nor his cassock of course of course i'll come with you said he 
but i have not what is necessary for administering the last sacraments Monsieur vigneron had assisted him to dress and was now stooping down looking for his slippers never mind he said the mere sight of you will assist her in her last moments if heaven has this affliction in store for us here put these on your feet and follow me at once oh at once he went off like a gust of wind and plunged into the adjoining room all the doors remained wide open the young priest who followed him noticed nothing in the first room which was in an incredible state of disorder beyond the half-naked figure of little gustave who sat on the sofa serving him as a bed motionless very pale forgotten and shivering amid this drama of inexorable death open bags littered the floor the greasy remains of supper soiled the table the parents bed seemed devastated by the catastrophe its coverlets torn off and lying on the ground and almost immediately afterwards he caught sight of the mother who had hastily enveloped herself in an old yellow dressing-gown standing with a terrified look in the inner room well my love well my love repeated monsieur vigneron in stammering accents with a wave of her hand and without uttering a word madame vigneron drew their attention to madame chaise who lay motionless with her head sunk in the pillow and her hands stiffened and twisted she was blue in the face and her mouth gaped as though with the great last gasp that had come from her pierre bent over her then in a low voice he said she is dead dead the word rang out in that more tidy room where a heavy silence reigned and the husband and wife looked at each other in amazement bewilderment so it was over the aunt had died before gustave and the youngster inherited her five hundred thousand francs how many times had they dwelt on that dream whose sudden realization dumbfounded them how many times had despair overcome them when they feared that the poor child might depart before her dead good heavens was it their fault had they really prayed to the blessed virgin for this she had shown herself so good to them that they trembled at the thought that they had not been able to express a wish without its being granted in the death of the chief clerk so suddenly carried off so that they might have his place they had already recognized the powerful hand of our lady of lourdes had she again loaded them with favors listening even to the unconscious dreams of their desire yet they had never desired any one's death they were worthy people incapable of any bad action loving their relations fulfilling their religious duties going to confession partaking of the communion like other people without any ostentation whenever they thought of those five hundred thousand francs of their son who might be the first to go and of the annoyance it would be to them to see another and far less worthy nephew inherit that fortune it was merely in the innermost recesses of their hearts in short quite innocently and naturally certainly they had thought of it when they were at the grotto but was not the blessed virgin wisdom itself did she not know far better than ourselves what she ought to do for the happiness of both the living and the dead then madame vigneron in all sincerity burst into tears and wept for the sister whom she loved so much ah monsieur l'abbé she said i saw her expire she passed away before my eyes what a misfortune that you were not here sooner to receive her soul she died without a priest your presence would have consoled her so much a prey also to emotion his eyes full of tears vigneron sought to console his wife your sister was a saint said he she communicated again yesterday morning and you need have no anxiety concerning her her soul has gone straight to heaven no doubt if monsieur l'abbé had been here in time she would have been glad to see him but what would you death was quicker i went at once and really there is nothing for us to reproach ourselves with 
then turning towards the priest he added monsieur l'abbé it was her excessive piety which certainly hastened her end yesterday at the grotto she had a bad attack which was a warning and in spite of her fatigue she obstinately followed the procession afterwards i thought then that she could not last long yet out of delicacy one did not like to say anything to her for fear of frightening her pierre gently knelt down and said the customary prayers with that human emotion which was his nearest approach to faith in the presence of eternal life and eternal death both so pitiful then as he remained kneeling a little longer he overheard snatches of the conversation around him little gustave forgotten on his couch amid the disorder of the other room must have lost patience for he had begun to cry and call out mamma 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 at length madame vigneron went to quiet him and it occurred to her to carry him in her arms to kiss his poor aunt for the last time but at first he struggled and refused crying so much that monsieur vigneron was obliged to interfere and try to make him ashamed of himself what he who was never frightened of anything who bore suffering with the courage of a grown-up man and to think it was a question of kissing his poor aunt who had always been so kind whose last thought must most certainly have been for him give him to me said he to his wife he's going to be good gustave ended by clinging to his father's neck he came shivering in his night-shirt displaying his wretched little body devoured by scrofula it seemed indeed as though the miraculous water of the piscinas far from curing him had freshened the sore on his back whilst his scraggy leg hung down inertly like a dry stick kiss her resumed monsieur vigneron the child leant forward and kissed his aunt on the forehead it was not death which upset him and caused him to struggle since he had been in the room he had been looking at the dead woman with an air of quiet curiosity he did not love her he had suffered on her account so long he had the ideas and feelings of a man and the weight of them was stifling him as they developed and became more acute at the same time as his complaint he felt full well that he was too little that children ought not to understand what only concerns their elders however his father seating himself out of the way kept him on his knee whilst his mother closed the window and lit the two candles on the mantelpiece ah my poor dear murmured monsieur vigneron feeling that he must say something it's a cruel loss for all of us our trip is now completely spoilt this is our last day for we start this afternoon and the blessed virgin too was showing herself so kind to us however seeing his son's surprised look a look of infinite sadness and reproach he hastened to add yes of course i know that she hasn't yet quite cured you but we must not despair of her kindness she loves us so well she shows us so many favours that she will certainly end by curing you since that is now the only favour that remains for her to grant us madame vigneron who was listening drew near and said how happy we should have been to have returned to paris all three hale and hearty nothing is ever perfect i say suddenly observed monsieur vigneron i shan't be able to leave with you this afternoon on account of the formalities which have to be gone through i hope that my return ticket will still be available to-morrow they were both getting over the frightful shock feeling a sense of relief in spite of their affection for madame chaise and in fact they were already forgetting her anxious above all things to leave lourdes as soon as possible as though the principal object of their journey had been attained a decorous unavowed delight was slowly penetrating them when i get back to paris there will be so much for me to do continued monsieur vigneron i who now only long for repose all the same i shall remain my three years at the ministry until i can retire especially now that i am certain of the retiring pension of chief clerk but afterwards oh afterwards i certainly hope to enjoy life a bit 
since this money has come to us i shall purchase the estate of les billotes that superb property down at my native place which i have always been dreaming of and i promise you that i shan't find time hanging heavy on my hands in the midst of my horses my dogs and my flowers little gustave was still on his father's knee his nightshirt rucked up his whole wretched misshapen body shivering and displaying the thinness of a slowly dying child when he perceived that his father now full of his dream of an opulent life no longer seemed to notice that he was there he gave one of his enigmatical smiles in which melancholy was tinged with malice but what about me father he asked Monsieur vigneron started like one aroused from sleep and did not at first seem to understand you little one you'll be with us of course but gustave gave him a long straight look without ceasing to smile with his artful though woeful lips oh do you think so he asked of course i think so you'll be with us and it will be very nice to be with us uneasy stammering unable to find the proper words monsieur vigneron felt a chill come over him when his son shrugged his skinny shoulders with an air of philosophical disdain and answered oh no i shall be dead and then the terrified father was suddenly able to detect in the child's deep glance the glance of a man who was very aged very knowing in all things acquainted with all the abominations of life through having gone through them what especially alarmed him was the abrupt conviction that this child had always seen into the innermost recesses of his heart even farther than the things he dared to acknowledge to himself he could recall that when the little sufferer had been but a baby in his cradle his eyes would frequently be fixed upon his own and even then those eyes had been rendered so sharp by suffering endowed too with such an extraordinary power of divination that they had seemed able to dive into the unconscious thoughts buried in the depths of his brain and by a singular counter-effect all the things that he had never owned to himself he now found in his child's eyes he beheld them read them there against his will the story of his cupidity lay unfolded before him his anger at having such a sorry son his anguish at the idea that madame chaise's fortune depended upon such a fragile existence his eager desire that she might make haste and die while the youngster was still there in order that he might finger the legacy it was simply a question of days this duel as to which should go off first and then at the end it still meant death the youngster must in his turn disappear whilst he the father alone pocketed the cash and lived joyfully to a good old age and these frightful things shone forth so clearly from the keen melancholy smiling eyes of the poor condemned child passed from son to father with such evident distinctness that for a moment it seemed to them that they were shouting them aloud however monsieur vigneron struggled against it all and averting his head began energetically protesting how you'll be dead what an idea it's absurd to have such ideas as that meantime madame vigneron was sobbing you wicked child she gasped how can you make us so unhappy when we already have such a cruel loss to deplore gustave had to kiss them and to promise them that he would live for their sakes yet he did not cease smiling conscious as he was that a lie is necessary when one does not wish to be too miserable and quite prepared moreover to leave his parents happy behind him since even the blessed virgin herself was powerless to grant him in this world the little happy lot to which each creature should be born his mother took him back to bed and pierre at length rose up just as monsieur vigneron had finished arranging the chamber of death in a suitable manner you'll excuse me won't you monsieur l'abbé said he accompanying the young priest to the door i'm not quite myself well it's an unpleasant time to go through i must get over it somehow however when pierre got into the passage he stopped for a moment 
listening to a sound of voices which was ascending the stairs he had just been thinking of monsieur de guersin again and imagined that he could recognize his voice however whilst he stood there waiting an incident occurred which caused him intense discomfort the door of the room next to monsieur de guersin softly opened and a woman clad in black slipped quickly into the passage as she turned she found herself face to face with pierre in such a fashion that it was impossible for them to pretend not to recognize each other the woman was madame volmar six o'clock had not yet struck and she was going off hoping that nobody would notice her with the intention of showing herself at the hospital and there spending this last morning in order in some measure to justify her journey to lourdes when she perceived pierre she began to tremble and at first could only stammer oh monsieur l'abbé monsieur l'abbé then noticing that the priest had left his door wide open she seemed to give way to the fever consuming her to a need of speaking out explaining things and justifying herself with her face suffused by a rush of blood she entered the young man's room whither he had to follow her greatly disturbed by this strange adventure and as he still left the door open it was she who in her desire to confide her sorrow and her sin to him begged that he would close it oh i pray you monsieur l'abbé said she do not judge me too harshly he made a gesture as though to reply that he did not allow himself the right to pass judgment upon her but yes but yes she responded i know very well that you are acquainted with my misfortune you saw me once in paris behind the church of la trinite and the other day you recognized me on the balcony here you were aware that i was there in that room but if you only knew ah oh, if you only knew her lips were quivering and tears were welling into her eyes as he looked at her he was surprised by the extraordinary beauty transfiguring her face this woman invariably clad in black extremely simple with never a jewel now appeared to him in all the brilliancy of her passion no longer drawing back into the gloom no longer seeking to bedim the lustre of her eyes as was her wont she who at first sight did not seem pretty but too dark and slender with drawn features a large mouth and long nose assumed as he now examined her a troubling charm a powerful irresistible beauty her eyes especially her large magnificent eyes whose braziers she usually sought to cover with a veil of indifference were flaring like torches and he understood that she should be loved adored to madness if you only knew monsieur l'abbé she continued if i were only to tell you all that i have suffered doubtless you have suspected something of it since you are acquainted with my mother-in-law and my husband on the few occasions when you have called on us you cannot but have understood some of the abominable things which go on in my home though i have always striven to appear happy in my little silent corner but to live like that for ten years to have no existence never to love never to be loved no no it was beyond my power and then she related the whole painful story her marriage with the diamond merchant a disastrous though it seemed an advantageous one her mother-in-law with the stern soul of a jailer or an executioner and her husband a monster of physical ugliness and mental villainy they imprisoned her they did not even allow her to look out of a window they had beaten her they had pitilessly assailed her in her tastes her inclinations in all her feminine weaknesses she knew that her husband wandered in his affections and yet if she smiled to a relative if she had a flower in her corsage on some rare day of gaiety he would tear it from her enter into the most jealous rage and seize and bruise her wrists whilst shouting the most fearful threats for years and years she had lived in that hell hoping hoping still having within her such a power of life such an ardent need of affection that she continued waiting for happiness ever thinking at the faintest breath that it was about to enter 
i swear to you monsieur l'abbé said she that i could not do otherwise than i have done i was too unhappy my whole being longed for someone who would care for me and when my friend the first time told me that he loved me it was all over i was his forever ah to be loved to be spoken to gently to have someone near you who is always solicitous and amiable to know that in absence he thinks of you that there is a heart somewhere in which you live ah if it be a crime monsieur l'abbé i cannot cannot feel remorse for it i will not even say that i was urged to it i simply say that it came to me as naturally as my breath because it was as necessary to my life she had carried her hand to her lips as though to throw a kiss to the world and pierre felt deeply disturbed in presence of this lovely woman who personified all the ardour of human passion and at the same time a feeling of deep pity began to arise within him poor woman he murmured it is not to the priest that i am confessing she resumed it is to the man that i am speaking to a man by whom i should greatly like to be understood no i am not a believer religion has not sufficed me it is said that some women find contentment in it a firm protection even against all transgressions but i have ever felt cold in church weary unto death oh i know very well that it is wrong to feign piety to mingle religion with my heart affairs but what would you i am forced to it if you saw me in paris behind the trinite it was because that church is the only place to which i am allowed to go alone and if you find me here at lourdes it is because in the whole long year i have but these three days of happiness and freedom again she began to tremble hot tears were coursing down her cheeks a vision of it all arose in pierre's mind and distracted by the thought of the ardent earthly love which possessed this unhappy creature he again murmured poor woman and monsieur l'abbé she continued think of the hell to which i am about to return for weeks and months i live my life of martyrdom without complaint another year another year must go by without a day an hour of happiness ah i am indeed very unhappy monsieur l'abbé yet do you not think all the same that i am a good woman he had been deeply moved by her sincere display of mingled grief and passion he felt in her the breath of universal desire a sovereign flame and his compassion overflowed from his heart and his words were words of pardon madame he said i pity you and respect you infinitely then she spoke no further but looked at him with her large tear-blurred eyes and suddenly catching hold of both his hands she grasped them tightly with her burning fingers and then she went off vanishing down the passage as light as ethereal as a shadow however pierre suffered from her presence in that room even more acutely after she had departed he opened the window wide that the fresh air might carry off the breath of passion which she had left there already on the sunday when he had seen her on the balcony he had been seized with terror at the thought that she personified the revenge of the world and the flesh amidst all the mystical exaltation of immaculate lourdes and now his terror was returning to him love seemed stronger than faith and perhaps it was only love that was divine to love to belong to one another to create and continue life was not that the one sole object of nature outside of all social and religious policies for a moment he was conscious of the abyss before him his chastity was his last prop the very dignity of his spoilt life and he realized that if after yielding to his reason he also yielded to his flesh he would be utterly lost all his pride of purity all his strength which he had placed in his professional rectitude thereupon returned to him and he again vowed that he would never be a man since he had voluntarily cut himself off from among men seven o'clock was striking and pierre did not go back to bed but began to wash himself 
thoroughly enjoying the cool water which ended by calming his fever as he finished dressing the anxious thought of monsieur de guersin recurred to him on hearing a sound of footsteps in the passage these steps stopped outside his room and someone knocked with a feeling of relief he went to open the door but on doing so exclaimed in great surprise what it's you how is it that you're already up running about to see people marie stood on the threshold smiling whilst behind her was sister hyacinthe who had come with her and who also was smiling with her lovely candid eyes ah my friend said the girl i could not remain in bed i sprang out directly i saw the sunshine i had such a longing to walk to run and jump about like a child and i begged and implored so much that sister was good enough to come with me i think i should have got out through the window if the door had been closed against me pierre ushered them in and an indescribable emotion oppressed him as he heard her jest so gaily and saw her move about so freely with such grace and liveliness she good heavens she whom he had seen for years with lifeless legs and colourless face since he had left her the day before at the basilica she had blossomed into full youth and beauty one night had sufficed for him to find again developed it is true the sweet creature whom he had loved so tenderly the superb radiant child whom he had embraced so wildly in the bygone days behind the flowering hedge beneath the sun-flecked trees how tall and lovely you are marie he said in spite of himself then sister hyacinthe interposed hasn't the blessed virgin done things well monsieur l'abbé when she takes us in hand you see she turns us out as fresh as roses and smelling quite as sweet ah resumed marie i'm so happy i feel quite strong and well and spotless as though i had just been born all this was very delicious to pierre it seemed to him that the atmosphere was now truly purified of madame volmar's presence marie filled the room with her candour with the perfume and brightness of her innocent youth and yet the joy he felt at the sight of pure beauty and life reflowering was not exempt from sadness for after all the revolt which he had felt in the crypt the wound of his wrecked life must forever leave him a bleeding heart as he gazed upon all that resuscitated grace as the woman he loved thus reappeared before him in the flower of her youth he could not but remember that she would never be his that he belonged no longer to the world but to the grave however he no longer lamented he experienced a boundless melancholy a sensation of utter nothingness as he told himself that he was dead that this dawn of beauty was rising on the tomb in which his manhood slept it was renunciation accepted resolved upon amidst all the desolate grandeur attaching to those lives which are led contrary to nature's law then like the other woman the impassioned one marie took hold of pierre's hands but hers was so soft so fresh so soothing she looked at him with some little confusion and a great longing which she dared not express after a while however she summoned up her courage and said will you kiss me pierre it would please me so much he shuddered his heart crushed by this last torture ah the kisses of other days those kisses which had ever lingered on his lips never since had he kissed her and to-day she was like a sister flinging her arms around his neck she kissed him with a loud smack on both his cheeks and offering her own insisted on his doing likewise to her so twice in his turn he embraced her i too marie said he am pleased very pleased i assure you and then overcome by emotion his courage exhausted whilst at the same time filled with delight and bitterness he burst into sobs weeping with his face buried in his hands like a child seeking to hide its tears come come we must not give way said sister hyacinthe gaily monsieur l'abbé would feel too proud if he fancied that we had merely come on his account monsieur de guersin is about isn't he 
marie raised a cry of deep affection ah my dear father after all it's he who'll be most pleased thereupon pierre had to relate that m de gersin had not returned from his excursion to gavarny his increasing anxiety showed itself while he spoke although he sought to explain his friend's absence surmising all sorts of obstacles and unforeseen complications marie however did not seem afraid but again laughed saying that her father never could be punctual still she was extremely eager for him to see her walking to find her on her legs again resuscitated in the fresh blossoming of her youth all at once sister hyacinthe who had gone to lean over the balcony returned to the room saying here he comes he's down below just alighting from his carriage ah cried marie with the eager playfulness of a schoolgirl let's give him a surprise yes we must hide and when he's here we'll show ourselves all of a sudden with these words she hastily dragged sister hyacinthe into the adjoining room almost immediately afterwards monsieur de gersin entered like a whirlwind from the passage the door communicating with which had been quickly opened by pierre and shaking the young priest's hand the belated excursionist exclaimed here i am at last ah my friend you can't have known what to think since four o'clock yesterday when you expected me back eh but you have no idea of the adventures we have had to begin with one of the wheels of our landau came off just as we reached gavarny then yesterday evening though we managed to start off again a frightful storm detained us all night long at saint sauveur i wasn't able to sleep a wink then breaking off he inquired and you are you all right i wasn't able to sleep either said the priest they made such a noise in the hotel but monsieur de gersin had already started off again all the same it was delightful i must tell you you can't imagine it i was with three delightful churchmen abbe de hermoise is certainly the most charming man i know oh we did laugh we did laugh then he again stopped to inquire and how's my daughter thereupon a clear laugh behind him caused him to turn round and he remained with his mouth wide open marie was there and was walking with a look of rapturous delight upon her face which was beaming with health he had never for a moment doubted the miracle and was not in the least surprised that it had taken place for he had returned with the conviction that everything would end well and that he would surely find her cured but what so utterly astounded him was the prodigious spectacle which he had not foreseen his daughter looking so beautiful so divine in her little black gown his daughter who had not even brought a hat with her and merely had a piece of lace tied over her lovely fair hair his daughter full of life blooming triumphant similar to all the daughters of all the fathers whom he had envied for so many years oh my child oh my child he exclaimed and as she had flown into his arms he pressed her to his heart and then they fell upon their knees together everything disappeared from before them in a radiant effusion of faith and love this heedless hare-brained man who fell asleep instead of accompanying his daughter to the grotto who went off to gavarny on the day the blessed virgin was to cure her overflowed with such paternal affection with such christian faith so exalted by thankfulness that for a moment he appeared sublime oh jesus oh mary let me thank you for having restored my child to me oh my child we shall never have breath enough soul enough to render thanks to mary and jesus for the great happiness they have vouchsafed us oh my child whom they have resuscitated oh my child whom they have made so beautiful again take my heart to offer it to them with your own i am yours i am theirs eternally oh my beloved child my adored child kneeling before the open window they both with uplifted eyes gazed ardently on heaven the daughter had rested her head upon her father's shoulder whilst he had passed an arm round her waist they had become one 
tears slowly trickled down their enraptured faces which were smiling with superhuman felicity whilst they stammered together disconnected expressions of gratitude o jesus we give thee thanks o holy mother of jesus we give thee thanks we love you we adore you both you have rejuvenated the best blood in our veins it is yours it circulates only for you o all-powerful mother o divine and well-beloved son behold a daughter and a father who bless you who prostrate themselves with joy at your feet so affecting was this mingling of two beings happy at last after so many dark days this happiness which could but stammer as though still tinged with suffering that pierre was again moved to tears but this time there were soothing tears which relieved his heart ah poor pitiable humanity how pleasant it was to see it somewhat consoled and enraptured and what did it matter after all if its great joys of a few seconds duration sprang from the eternal illusion was not the whole of humanity pitiable humanity saved by love personified by that poor childish man who suddenly became sublime because he found his daughter resuscitated standing a little aside sister hyacinthe was also weeping her heart very full full of human emotion which she had never before experienced she who had known no other parents than the almighty and the blessed virgin silence had now fallen in this room full of so much tearful fraternity and it was she who spoke the first when the father and the daughter overcome with emotion at length rose up now mademoiselle said she we must be quick and get back to the hospital but they all protested monsieur de garcin wished to keep his daughter with him and marie's eyes expressed an eager desire a longing to enjoy life to walk and ramble through the whole vast world oh no no said the father i won't give her back to you we'll each have a cup of milk for i'm dying of thirst then we'll go out and walk about yes yes both of us she shall take my arm like a little woman sister hyacinthe laughed again very well said she i'll leave her with you and tell the ladies that you've stolen her from me but for my own part i must be off you've no idea what an amount of work we have to get through at the hospital if we are to be ready in time to leave there are all the patients and things to be seen to and all is in the greatest confusion so today's really tuesday and we leave this afternoon asked monsieur de garcin already absent-minded again of course we do and don't forget the white train starts at three forty and if you're sensible you'll bring your daughter back early so that she may have a little rest marie walked with the sister to the door saying be easy i will be very good besides i want to go back to the grotto to thank the blessed virgin once more when they found themselves all three alone in the little room full of sunshine it was delicious pierre called the servant and told her to bring them some milk some chocolate and cakes in fact the nicest things he could think of and although marie had already broken her fast she ate again so great an appetite had come upon her since the night before they drew the table to the window and made quite a feast amidst the keen air from the mountains whilst the hundred bells of lourdes proclaimed with flying peals the glory of that radiant day they chattered and laughed and the young woman told her father the story of the miracle with all the oft-repeated details she related too how she had left her box at the basilica and how she had slept twelve hours without stirring then monsieur de garcin on his side wished to relate his excursion but got mixed and kept coming back to the miracle finally it appeared that the cirque de gavarny was something colossal only when you looked at it from a distance it seemed small for you lost all sense of proportion the gigantic snow-covered tiers of cliffs the topmost ridge standing out against the sky with the outlines of some cyclopean fortress with raised keep and jagged ramparts the great cascade whose ceaseless jet seemed so slow when in reality it must have rushed down with a noise like thunder the whole immensity the forests on right and left 
the torrents and the landslips looked as though they might have been held in the palm of one's hand when one gazed upon them from the village marketplace and what had impressed him most what he repeatedly alluded to were the strange figures described by the snow which had remained up there amongst the rocks among others was a huge crucifix a white cross several thousand yards in length which you might have thought had been thrown across the amphitheatre from one end to the other however all at once monsieur de guersin broke off to inquire by the way what's happening at our neighbours as i came upstairs a little while ago i met monsieur vigneron running about like a madman and through the open doorway of their room i fancied i saw madame vigneron looking very red has their son gustave had another attack pierre had quite forgotten madame chaise lying dead on the other side of the partition he seemed to feel a cold breath pass over him no no he answered the child is all right and he said no more preferring to remain silent why spoil this happy hour of new life and reconquered youth by mingling it with the image of death however from that moment he himself could not cease thinking of the proximity of nothingness and he thought too of that other room where madame volmar's friend was now alone stifling his sobs with his lips pressed upon a pair of gloves which he had stolen from her all the sounds of the hotel were now becoming audible again the coughs the sighs the indistinct voices the continual slamming of doors the creaking of the floors beneath the great accumulation of travellers and all the stir in the passages along which flying skirts were sweeping and families galloping distractedly amidst the hurry-scurry of departure on my word you'll do yourself an injury all at once cried monsieur de guersin on seeing his daughter take up another cake marie was quite merry too but at a sudden thought tears came into her eyes and she exclaimed ah how glad i am but also how sorry when i think that everybody is not as pleased as myself end of section twenty one